0: Hello, everybody. Good to see you. You bet. (laughs) Live church and everybody else who's watching the live stream, we sure appreciate you taking time this morning to plug in and check us out. We know God is doing some cool things in your lives. And, um, man, I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but God does. And he knows the big picture. And this morning, we have an opportunity to open up the Bible, see what God wants to say to us, and, uh, and join in with uh, uh, the New Testament as well. So, if you want to follow along with the notes, we have an outline. If you're watching on the church website, they're posted on the video player. And if you're watching on Facebook, we'll put a, post a link in the comments column. So, uh, just open those things up and that way you can uh, track with uh, the, the talk this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word. Thank you that it's relevant for today. And Lord, yeah, we could say uh, there's a lot of stuff going on around the world in our own personal lives, but you're fully aware of each one of us, God. And so we pause these next few moments to talk to you, to listen to you, to have you speak to us through your word, Lord. So thank you. As we commit this time into your hands, do a good work in each one of our lives, Lord. We give your permission to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. George Matheson lived in the 1800s. He had partial vision growing up as a boy, and by the time he was 20 years old, he went completely blind. The sad story is he went blind after he had become engaged, and his fiance, once finding out that he had gone blind, broke the engagement saying, I cannot go through life with a blind man. There wasn't anything more lonely or rejection from him to learn that the person that he had come to live with for the rest of his life said to him, you know what, George, I can't do it, and she signed off. So the thoughts that George listened to in his mind was, you know, you deserve to be rejected. You're not worthy to be loved. Who would want to love you? You know, that carried a lot of weight on him. And maybe you're, the, you're the, here this morning and you're thinking, you know what? If I turn to God, he too might reject me. But you need to know something. God will never reject you. He loves you. And uh, man, he's got a great plan for your life. Now, George, um, man, it was devastating, being alone, socially distanced. But George wrote a hymn called, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go, written on the evening of his sister's wedding. His entire family had gone to the wedding, and he was all alone at home. And um, the thing was, when George went blind, his sister was his caretaker. And so now that she was getting married, who would take care of him? So not only was the wedding kind of a a fresh reminder that his sister was gone, but also um, a reminder of his former fiancé who rejected his love. Man, the heartbreak that he went through during those moments. And so that night, with intense sadness, the Lord gave George a hymn to write. He says it was written within five minutes, And so in that grief, instead of turning to bitter resentment against his former fiance, instead of blaming God for being all alone, something happened inside George where he was transformed, and these are the words that he wrote in that hymn. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in you. I give you back the life I owe, that in your ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O joy that seeks me through pain, I cannot close my heart to you. I trace the rainbow through the rain, and feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. O love that will not let me go. So, what exactly happened to George Matson that night? In this hymn, he says, God, I gave my life back to you. You opened up my heart, and I'm surrendering it to Jesus Christ. So in his blindness and rejection, it proved for George Matheson the very means of illuminating God's great love. So Matheson turned his thoughts away from the woman that he had lost, from away from the temptations for self-pity, for resentment, for selfish isolation, and lifted his pain to Almighty God, the one Who would never let him go? That's pretty cool. And so in his words that he wrote, I give you back the life I owe, Matheson understood something that he could do when he was socially distanced. And that was simply surrender his life to Christ. This morning, we're going to take a look at a story in the New Testament in the book of Philemon. It is uh, between the book of Titus and the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's one chapter, but it's a letter that Paul wrote to Philemon about a situation that Paul wanted to push the envelope in Philemon's life to allow him to grow closer to Christ. And man, it was a tough decision that he would have to make. And so right now, it seems like the whole world itself is social distancing itself, quarantined, uh, isolation, And uh, a good question is, hey, does the Bible have to say anything about social distancing in 2020? Well, it's kind of cool that uh, almost 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this letter, he experienced social distancing as well. And so he spent a lot of time in prison under house arrest. And it was during one of those times that he wrote this letter to Philemon around 60 A.D., so he's spreading, um, he's, he's in prison for spreading not a contagious virus, but a contagious gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So probably during that first imprisonment in Rome, this letter's written uh, around the same time that Paul wrote letters to the church at Ephesus and the church at, uh, Philemon, at uh, Colossae. And so there's times in our lives that um, you're limited, you know. Paul couldn't get up and walk around outside on the, on the main roads of Rome. He was locked into a prison, couldn't go anywhere. But even then, he wrote a letter that's in your Bible today. I think that's pretty cool. So number one in your notes, socially distance. Let's take a look at verse one in the book of Philemon. This letter is from Paul a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, and it says he's also writing it to our sister Aphia, which many believe was Philemon's wife, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, who many feel that Archippus was their son and was the pastor of that house church in Colossae. So, talking about socially distanced, Paul, being in prison, (laughs) he knows exactly what you and I are going through today. He's socially distanced. There's an article last week written by Joe Carter, and he says uh, how to talk to your family about social distancing. This is what he says. By the end of the year, social distancing may be the most important phrase you'd never heard of before 2020. As a preventive measure to contain the spread of disease such as COVID-19, social distancing is the simple practice of maintaining a distance, in this case, at least six feet between you and other people. So Paul is practicing um, socially distancing. He can relate to what you and I are going through right now. So Paul chose to introduce himself in this letter as a prisoner for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. This is the only time in all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament that he refers to himself as a prisoner for preaching the good news. It's interesting, while he's in Rome, in prison, we don't get any feel of this letter that he's feeling sorry for himself. You know, you would think if he did something wrong, it deserved by going into prison. Well, that's the reason why. But Paul was preaching the good news. He was serving Christ, and yet look where he ends up, in prison, socially distanced from all of his friends, his family, and colleagues. That's encouraging for you and I, even right now, to realize that when we are socially distanced, that we can lean into God. We don't have to feel sorry for ourselves. We, we don't have to think, man, my life, you know, it's not fair what's going on. Instead, we can follow Paul's example here. And even the example of George Matheson, you know, who went blind, who lost his fiance. Instead of feeling sorry for himself, he leaned into God's love. And God gave him a beautiful hymn to write. So, Philemon, who's this guy that Paul's writing to? He's a wealthy landowner in Colossae, and Philemon put his faith in Jesus Christ because of Paul's ministry. Paul was teaching in that region about Christ, Philemon heard about Jesus, and he put his faith in Christ. So that's great news. And during the, Paul's years of ministry in nearby Ephesus, Philemon was building up the Colossian church. And so, Paul in verse 1b considers Philemon our beloved co worker. Number two, what else can we do while we're being socially distanced? I can pray. That's something that you and I can do for sure. Look at verse four. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon. What's Paul doing while in prison? Not only is he writing a letter, but he's praying. Because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. So every time Paul is praying for Philemon, what's he doing? He's thanking God for him. Is that how you pray? Are there a group of people that, Lord, I thank you for this person, man? They, They are such a gift to me. Well, Paul is saying that, Philemon, you refreshed me. You encouraged me. And he's praying for this man while Paul himself is in prison. What's he doing? Paul's taking his eyes off himself, and he's putting them on Christ, and he's praying for somebody else. Man, we can practice that. We're kind of under a house arrest in a too, aren't we? And we can pray for people. Take advantage of the time that you have and pray for the people that God puts on your heart. And you can be encouraged by that. Max Licato recently wrote a prayer called a coronavirus prayer. and This is what he says, and we can identify, I'm sure, uh, by praying these same words back to the Lord. He says, Dear Lord... We're still hoping we'll wake up. We're still hoping we'll open a sleepy eye and think, what a horrible dream. How could this have happened? In just a moment, everything changed. A phantom disease invaded our peace, our plans, and our security. In a heartbeat, our language and behaviors were upended. Even young children understand the term social distancing, quarantine, and COVID-19. This strange season has introduced a level of fear we haven't seen since 9-11, Fear of what might come, fear of touching, fear of exposure, fear of what we can't see. We are anxious, Father, and so we come to you. We don't ask you for help, we beg you for it. We don't request, we implore. We need what you can do. We, we've read the accounts, we've pondered the stories, and now we plead, do it again, Lord, do it again. And we see the world turning to you, Father. People encouraging people with scriptures and reminders of your sovereignty. We confess we have been anxious, but because of you, we have hope. Give us grace to help each other in faith that we might believe. And look kindly upon your church. For 2,000 years, you've used her to heal a hurting world. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Isn't that good? Well, Max goes on to say, God will teach you to pray. We speak, God listens. God speaks, we listen. This is the prayer in its purest form. God changes his people through such moments. You know, even now when you're socially distanced from people around you, you can open up the Bible. You can open it to the book of Psalm, right in the middle of the Bible. Find yourself in one of the Psalms. And you can pray that right back to God. That's a great practice to get into. And um, I want to encourage you to do that. So we can pray while we're being socially distanced. Number three, seek reconciliation. Verse eight. That is why I am praying, boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love... I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me. Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner, for the sake of Christ Jesus. So, in these next couple of verses, when we're talking about reconciliation, Paul is kind of pushing the envelope in Philemon's life. He knows there's a broken relationship. Paul knows the man where that relationship has been broken and so he's moving, he's appealing to Philemon, hey, you're a follower of Christ. You know who I am. I led you to the Lord. I'm an apostle of Christ. You're a follower of Jesus Christ and so while you're growing in your faith, guess what? You're going to have an opportunity to be reconciled to a person that's really taken advantage of you. Now, You and I, once again, are experiencing this social distancing. And you know what? Without the sports on television, without games to go to, um, entertainment, etc., things have kind of slowed down, haven't they? You can take full advantage of being socially distant by being quiet before the Lord and allowing Him to search your heart to say, Lord, is there anything in my life that's caused separation from you? Is there distance between you and me in our relationship? Well, David did that in the book of Psalm 139, verse 23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the paths of everlasting life. Look at what David's saying. Lord, search me. Lord, I'm giving you permission. I'm, I'm not doing anything else. I'm not uh, preoccupied, distracted with something else going on in my life. I am sitting here asking you to search me. Put the light on me. Know my heart. Test me. See if there's anything any anxious thoughts in there. And then I'm giving you permission to point out anything in me that's offensive to you, Lord. So first of all, I want to encourage you to be reconciled to your loving God. You know, whatever's happened in your life in the past, maybe you've allowed that to become a a cliff between that relationship between you and God. Take full advantage of these days, these weeks, and allow God to speak to you. Well, that's exactly now what Paul is doing in prison. He's allowed the Lord to work in his life, and now he's going to challenge a friend of his, Philemon, to do the very same thing. Philemon... You're growing in Christ. There's a broken relationship. He's about to unload it on him. And you need to obey what God wants you to do. So, verse 9, he says, But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request from me. What's the request going to be? Well, you'll find out in a moment. Paul, an old man, he's about 60 years old. (laughs) For some, that's not very old. And he's also a prisoner for the sake of Christ. Paul wanted Philemon to make a decision that was honoring to the Lord. And so um, we have time, don't we, to pause and reflect and say, Lord, is there anything in my life? Is there a broken relationship with another person? You know, they've hurt me a long time ago, maybe a month ago, whatever the case may be. Distance has come between us. And Lord, I want to honor you with my life. And so let me know what I need to do to restore that broken relationship. I can remember back when I was in high school, I was at summer camp. And our cabin got together. A counselor had us sitting around. And he asked the question, what is the one thing that is keeping you from growing in your walk with Christ? Well, it didn't take me very long to remember and to know that there were certain relationships in my life that weren't very good. And I knew that was hurting my relationship with the Lord. It was adding extra weight. It was slowing me down in my walk. And so right there, we had the opportunity to pray. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, forgive me. I realize, you know what? I've, I've allowed these broken relationships to fester, to hang around too long. And it's hurting my relationship with you. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me and give me love for those people. And you know what? (laughs) A month later, I realized, man, where did that love come from? It kind of surprised me. And God helped me reconcile with those broken relationships. That's exactly what God wants to do in your life today as well. Take full advantage of these moments and say, Lord, search me. May my relationship with you be right. And then second, make sure relationships with other people need to be where they're supposed to be. And you can take responsibility for that. Now, number four, the backstory. It's about Onesimus. Verse 10. It's taken Paul nine verses to get to his point. It's kind of interesting. He's kind of, uh, he's kind of building Philemon up. For this challenge that he's about to give him, look at verse 10. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is not a child, but Paul, because he led Onesimus to the Lord, Paul is like his spiritual father. So he's referring to Onesimus as his child. He says, I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much use to you in the past. But now he's very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. What's going on here is Philemon, being a wealthy landowner, he had slaves. And Onesimus just happened to be one of his slaves. So what happened? Onesimus stole money from Philemon, a lot of money, and he ran away. And the interesting thing is that Onesimus ran 1,500 miles away to Rome. It's a long way. Um He goes to Rome, and Rome's got a populace of uh, over 800,000 people. And so uh, Onesimus went there to kind of hide in the crowd. He was a fugitive. Because he was a runaway slave, uh, Philemon would have the opportunity to have him executed. And so uh, Onesimus said, you know what, I'm going to take a long trip. I'm going to go into hiding. Nobody will ever find me there. But guess what? He ends up running into the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that? The odds of that happening. And so um, it's decision time for Philemon. It's kind of what Paul's saying. Hey, hey, he stole money from you, Philemon. Yeah, he ripped you off. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. But guess what? Onesimus put his faith in Jesus Christ just like you did. So he's no longer a slave in our eyes. He's a brother. We're all in the same family of God. And so you can see Paul is challenging Philemon to forgive, to reconcile with Onesimus. And um, that's pretty interesting. He calls him his child. Now Paul calls Philemon a brother in verse 7. He calls Onesimus my child in verse 10. So... How far is 1,500 miles? Anybody know offhand? Well, I did a little homework, and I found that from here to Cedar City, Utah. Anybody been there? Cedar City, Utah, it's about 250 miles south of Salt Lake City. Yeah, it's a long trip. That's, that's the distance that Onesimus ran to to get away from Philemon. But guess what? God saw him running. God loved Onesimus even though he was a criminal. And he had Paul waiting for him; Their paths crossed in Rome. And Onesimus told his story. Yeah, yeah, there was, I, was, I used to be a slave of Philemon. And man, I stole his money and I ran away. And here I end up with you, Paul. And then you know what? Paul went on to, to give the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Saying, Onesimus, you can put your faith in Christ and be forgiven. And he did. How much does God love Onesimus? How much does God love you? I'd say he does a lot, doesn't he? So, just like Onesimus, um, we can all identify with him. In John 8, 34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In Galatians 3, the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So, just like Onesimus, the Bible tells us hey, we were slaves to sin. What are we going to do about it? We're we going to keep running away from God? We're going to continue to put distance between ourselves and God? That's not what God wants. God set up an appointment for Onesimus to run into Paul. 1,500 miles away. Why? Because God loved Onesimus so much. Verse 16, Paul writes, He's no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So Onesimus has new status. You know, he's not a possession. He's a brother in the Lord now. And um, Onesimus and Philemon, what? They're all members of God's family, equal, equals in Christ. Man, that's amazing. And Paul says, hey, welcome him as you would welcome me, Philemon. Come on, you're, you're a follower of Christ. That's what Jesus would do. Now you can put that into practice. So God welcomed Onesimus into the family of God. So should Philemon. Number five, be generous. We can be generous while we, were, while we are socially distanced. That's something else we can do. Look at verse 18. Paul writes, If he has wronged you, Philemon, in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. What Paul is saying is, Hey, Philemon, I led you to the Lord. Remember? Remember? And guess what? If if Onesimus owes you some money, I'll pay it back in full. Don't hold it against Onesimus. That debt has been forgiven because I'm paying for it. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. He's giving Onesimus courage to return back to Philemon. And he's giving a picture to Philemon to welcome Onesimus back home. So, Onesimus no longer owned Philemon, anything. Why? Because Paul said, I'm going to pay it, and I'm going to pay it in full. So, as we are socially distanced, do you need to pick up the tab for someone? You know, has the Lord been talking to you about, hey, be generous? We have an opportunity for that. Paul says in verse 19, I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. So, What's biblical generosity look like? We have an opportunity to see that in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God gives us three characteristics of an authentic generosity. This is what it says. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. It's a good reminder, especially in these days. So biblical generosity is always thoughtful. It says you must each decide in your heart. What's God saying to you about being generous? We have an opportunity to obey him and think about it. Number two, it's voluntary. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't give out of guilt. That's not going to let your heart grow, you know. And third, always cheerful, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. You know what? Paul is writing here, he's saying, man, if you can't give cheerfully, don't give it at all. Go ahead and be a Grinch. Go ahead and be a Scrooge, man. You'll feel good about that, won't you? (laughs) No, God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, even in these days, man, we have an opportunity to be generous, even while we're socially distanced. And so that leads us to number six, make the right choice. Make the right choice. Paul giving Philemon the challenge. Come on, come on, Philemon. Here's an opportunity to forgive, to reconcile. Look, and I'm picking up the tab. Welcome, your former slave. He's not a slave anymore. He's a brother in Christ. Verse 20, yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. So we have Onesimus symbolically standing at Philemon's front door with this letter from Paul. And um, inside this letter, that's what we call Philemon in our Bibles today. That's pretty cool. Paul's encouraging Philemon to model the gospel by welcoming this new convert back into his home. And he says, verse 21, I'm confident as I write this letter that you will do what I asked and even more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to welcome him back. You're going to forgive him. You're going to reconcile. Why? Because you're a follower of Christ. So you look at this work of reconciliation. Onesimus had wronged Philemon and was separated from him. There was distance between these two. Just like sinners have wronged God, we've been separated from God. In Romans 3.23, For everyone have sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We've been separated because of sin. Paul wrote this letter to reconcile Onesimus and Philemon. Guess what? Jesus went to the cross, and he reconciled sinners to a holy God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we might be made right with God through Christ. Isn't that great news? We have been reconciled to a holy God by what Jesus did on the cross. And finally, the debt Onesimus had with Philemon had to be paid. Well, who paid it? The penalty for sin had to be paid. Just like that. And Paul took that debt and he told Philemon, I'm going to pay that debt in full. And Jesus did the same thing. He took our debt of sin. It wasn't his sin. It was our sin, your sin, the sins of the world, and paid for it by his death. In Romans 5, 8 and 9, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Galatians 4, 5 says, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Yeah. That's cool, man. Jesus pursued us. God loves. He gives us the freedom to make that decision. Just like... Philemon had the freedom to choose to say, yeah, I'm going to forgive Onesimus, or I'm not going to forgive, I'm going to keep holding this grudge against him, and he ripped me off. You and I have that same kind of freedom when it comes to Christ. Christ loves you and I so much, he gives us the freedom to choose. We can receive him, this gift that we just talked about, or we can reject him. It's a crazy situation, man. Onesimus, a runaway slave, runs into Paul who's in prison in Rome, the guy who led his former owner to Christ. Man, do you see that? Those dots connecting. And just like how God went after Onesimus, God is pursuing you. Why? Because he loves you. He wants to transform your life. Romans ten thirteen. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Philemon called on the name of the Lord. Onesimus called on the name of the Lord. You can call on the name of the Lord. And Jesus, you know what? I can't save myself. I need you to save me. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Aren't you glad this verse doesn't read, For God so loved the famous? Or, for God so loved the successful. Man, that would leave so many people out. But it says, for God so loved the world. And if you're living in the world, that's you. That's me. We don't have to be socially distanced from God any longer. God has made a way for you and I to be reconciled to him. God loves you so much, he wants you to be with him forever in heaven. That's incredible love. And he has invited us to enjoy that eternal life with him. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Jesus went to the cross, he paid for your sin and my sin in full. And so this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, just like Onesimus, who was running from God and he got tired, and God pursued him, and God set him up to run into Paul, who gave him the good news that Jesus loved him and died for him. You can do the same thing this morning. And so pray with me if you want to make that relationship connect with God this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner, and I need your forgiveness Thank you for sending Jesus to take my punishment I deserved for my sin on the cross. Come into my life, Jesus, and empower me by your Spirit to live my life that honors you forever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you made that decision this morning, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you believe that he took your place on the cross to pay your sin debt, my sin debt in full, you have now become a follower of Christ. And I would encourage you to contact us if you made that choice this morning. You can check us out on the webpage, get an address, get an email, get a phone number, and we'll get you information that explains what it means to be a follower of Christ and how you can grow in that relationship. God bless you. Have a great day.